Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. It's another round of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Post-Oscars, Rick and Nick. Welcome back. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Good to have you along. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, and we are very pleased to have them along as a sponsor of the podcast and a continued sponsor of the podcast. So thanks for tuning in today. Rick and Nick, well, let's just say they went to the Oscars after party, so there's no chance that they are going to be joining us today. Uh, They were too busy hobnobbing and hanging out with the big celebs and, and even after an appearance by Rick last time, I thought he was. I thought this was the start of a trend. Right. I thought he were going to phase themselves back in and phase us right out. No. I thought it was Nick who was here last time. Does it or matter? Was it Rick? I don't does think it, it matter? really does. No, it doesn't really at this point. Tardy one and tardy two. Let me let me ask you this, Dave. They're they're supposed to be critics, right? Really? They're supposed to be critical people. Why are they hanging out with the celebrities at the Oscars? It almost feels. Like, that, there's just something uncouth about that. I, I don't think that really adds up. Have you ever known somebody to hold a position that's really not interested in the position, but rather what the position can get them? I think I know where you're going. Access. Man. Yeah. Access. So I don't think they really matter to I don't even know if they like movies. I don't know if he the last movie he saw was actually a movie. Probably like Winnie the Pooh for his kids or something. Who knows? Probably. And yet they, they have all the notoriety, and that gets them into... These big events. Notoriety, like yeah. They're not just famous, they're infamous. Basically, yep, basically. And yet they use it to get into the big parties. Hey, you know, like if, if I could hobnob with some of the rich and famous, eh, I might exploit my access card too. Looks like they certainly did, and thus they were not able to fly back. Uh, I think they're still stuck out there in L.A. I think they're going to take a couple more days out Got there. Got a bit of a weather time. issue this morning, so that's well, okay. There's there's that too. I feel like that's an excuse though. I thought they were taking like the famous people think about it but they don't know that it really exists, the underground celebrity tunnel that goes from city to city. You know, only the rich oh, and famous really? know about it. It's not cars, it's not taxis, it's not sub it's some special like like uh, the bank teller tube. Only the famous can access it. This sounds like that that now infamous tunnel that's under Staples Center going you from know. one locker room to another. Then you know. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I think when you get to Lindsay Lohan status, you lose your access card to the tunnel. True. I think the guys are are not really in that realm yet, but who knows. Anyway, we digress. This is not about Rick and Nick. This is about talking flicks, and that is what we are here to do. So, coming up, we'll do a little bit of an Oscars recap and discuss the evening. Boy. That was as chalky as it gets with those Oscars last night. Uh, Best Picture was maybe the only one that was up in the air. And yet, even there in the end, it went to one of the two that was widely expected to win it. Plus, we'll discuss some more topics in film regarding how can we get people back in the theater and back to going to see film, especially surrounding a video that Dave just recently got a chance to watch and that I then watched after him. And it brought up some really good points regarding some of the more finer things and the more intricate things that help make a movie what it is. 
that is maybe making some movies here of the modern day a little bit less worth consuming. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple of things, uh, even at the Oscars last night, this will be an interesting segue. Uh, and we'll talk about the, do you want to talk about the Oscars up front or do you want to talk about the, um, let's talk here? Oscars. Yeah. Okay. Then we'll, we'll save the segue for later. Um, so you called it a chalky year where it was pretty much by the numbers and as expected, regardless of show quality, you thought things fell into the slots they were expected to fall into. I figured they did. Yes. There were, there were not really any big surprises. Um, best picture was the one that was really up in the air, and yet in the end, it went to one of the ones that was expected to be a front runner, and that was mm-hmm. The Shape of Water, which ended up winning. Um, the general consensus, it felt like, was that it was either going to be The Shape of Water or Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, with a couple of dark horses still around and in the mix, and, and those being Get Out, Dunkirk, and Call Me By Your Name. They were expected to, to sort of be, if there was going to be a surprise, I think it was going to be one of those that was going to end up taking it. Best director, Guillermo del Toro. That one was not surprising. I was disappointed. I was hoping Christopher Nolan could make a run and finally that this would be his year. But Guillermo del Toro was pretty well ex- well expected to, to win that. Best actress, Frances McDormand was a knockout. Expected to win that one. Best actor, Gary Oldman was a knockout. Expected to win that one for Darkest Hour, which, by the way, I saw... And as I said in our Oscars primer Tour one, de force. yeah, just incredible what he did in that movie. And I fully expected him to win there. The same thing with the best supporting ones. Allison Janney for I, Tanya, and then Sam Rockwell for uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. They were widely expected to win those, too. I, I would say maybe it was in a lot of cases, Allison Janney in particular, but Sam Rockwell... I thought if it was going to go to anybody from that movie, I thought it was going to be for Woody Harrelson. But I think, I mean, obviously they were all worthy of it. They wouldn't have been nominated if they weren't. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. That, I think that's, it, that's tough when you have two yeah, from the same movie. Splits and the vote. It might split the vote, but it didn't in this case. No. you know, And that's one of the things where you were saying you thought a lot of things went the way they were. I think in any given year, there's going to be like a category or two or three or four that, you know, oh, this is what's going to win. Absolutely. This year, I thought, you know, Best Picture in particular, it was there was a lot of great movies that came out this year, and it was wide across the boards as to what could win. You thought, you'd said that uh, of the two movies you thought were going to win Best Picture, one of them won, and uh, I can follow that. But I would almost open it up to five. I'd say there was five movies that it could have gone either one just as easily as the other. And the controversy with The Shape of Water, was there plagiarism, was there not? I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen the other one. I heard plagiarism from three sources. There's plagiarism that comes up all the time. It's really yeah. easy to claim it, but to prove it is another thing. Yes. So, But we haven't gone down that rabbit hole far enough or long enough for this thing to reach a resolution. So it's it's too early to know. But would just the thought of that in the air, would it be enough to maybe get some voters to sway away from the movie. To follow Guillermo del Toro's career, this movie seems right down his rabbit hole anyway, or right down his wheelhouse, rather, I meant to say. Um, so I, I can't comment as to whether I think there is the, this holds water or not, but the fact that that was around and it's still one best picture, interesting. So, And I think worthy. I think he's a very found, uh, fantastic writer and director. Things really got spread out, though, as far as the awards yeah. this year. The only movie that seemed to, to really get shut out this year was Lady Bird, which, yeah. left, which left some people disappointed in that regard. But there were a lot of different movies that got awarded 
last night in what was a pretty strong year at the movies for some of the most critically acclaimed films um, as far as how they did. When it came to the visual categories, Dunkirk did extremely well, winning Best Film Editing, um, also taking uh, for a couple of others Best Sound Mixing as well as Best Sound Editing. Uh, Visual and Sound, it did extremely well in those categories. Now remind me, I had to put the kiddo to bed right around the time that Baby Driver was up for Film Editing. Did that one win? I have not read. It did not, no. Uh, That surprises me. Film Editing went to Dunkirk. And that surprises me. That did surprise some people, and I'm I'm not too surprised there – that that people are surprised, which I know is kind of weird to say. Well, and, here, and here's because the, it was very clever with the yeah. way that it was edited. Well, and Dunkirk, I'm going to take nothing away from that movie. It's a fantastic movie, and they all were that were nominated. But of those movies that you went and saw, how many of them had you walk out of the theater saying, "Wow, the editing of the way they put that thing together was." Re- the only one that anyone ever thought about that at all, because it's really editing is something that exists almost on a subprimal level. You don't, you're not aware. At the time, but with Baby Driver, the way they put it together, nobody walks out of a theater saying, wow, the editing, except for Baby Driver. I wonder how many people from the Academy actually got a chance to see it in mm. that way. I'm I'm curious how many actually did. Visual-wise, Blade Runner 2049 yeah. did excellent yeah. visual-wise. And I think some people were left disappointed that it did not get more notoriety in terms of the best picture race. Because yeah. I think some people wanted that with, with Blade Runner 2049, but... In classic Blade Runner style, it flew under the radar, even though it was another extremely well-crafted movie. It underperformed, just like the original did. Yeah. But boy, did it simmer and simmer and simmer for decades, and it changed sci-fi, at least the look of sci-fi, ever after. So what could this new one do? But boy, the cinematography, yeah. it, it was well-deserved with winning that one. Um, then you look at the screenplays. Adapted screenplay goes to Call Me By Your Name. Original screenplay goes to Get Out. Jordan Peele yeah. winning there for, for well best deserved. original screenplay. Absolutely. I finally saw it. Have not, I will loan it to you today, as a matter of fact. I uh, thought it was a very good movie. Um, and some of that will tie into what we're going to talk about for our topic today. Good. Um, and I'll try to keep the spoilers at a minimum just for your entertainment value. Okay, good. Um, but it was absolutely well-deserved. And when you get people talking about something, whether it's Baby Driver or Jordan Peele, a comedic actor who writes and directs this movie that's a horror movie, really, and knocks it out of the park to the point where he says, I'm done with acting because this is too much fun, that's noteworthy, and the fact that the Academy noticed and filmmakers noticed and audiences went to it in droves, that says something. It really does, and that is maybe where the future of filmmaking lies, perhaps? Going to go out there and make a stretchy statement? Perhaps. Yeah, it, it comes up with – you have to come up with new ideas yeah. these days, and we'll, we'll get well, more it's, into It's a that. new idea, boy. It doesn't retread anything. Yeah, we'll get more into that later, so – and then when it came to some of the acting categories, that's where three billboards did well. And then Shape of Water just kind of tied everything together with winning in in with best score and then best director and, and then, of course, the best picture category. So it spread the wealth around, did the Oscars in term, this year, in terms of who would win a lot, which I feel like is becoming more and more of a trend. You're not getting these resounding big winners anymore. Now, I know that there are probably people who are thinking, well, wasn't that the case last year with La La Land. And I will say that even though it won, I think, six last year, what did it miss out on? Best Picture, which you would think, oh, in a year where it's won so many of these awards, wouldn't you think that it would also get Best Picture? No, Moonlight ended up shocking the world with winning the Best Picture title there last year. So, I don't know, it feels like it's more and more about spreading things out. But when there's a lot of good movies out there, 
it feels like the Academy is trying more and more these days to to try and give more awards to more different movies. Yeah, I also think that while that's not – I think it's a valid point, I also think there wasn't any front runner in anything really this year. There wasn't any one movie that came out that was – Wow. Maybe for some areas, but not overall. I mean, you go to a movie like Silence of the Lambs when that came out. It was one of the only movies to win the big five. Best picture, best actor, best director, best actress. It won them all. And that doesn't happen very often. And movies like La La Land, it kind of came in under the radar in a way. And then it was, what is this? It looks, eh, okay. And then the reviews were like, this is a really good movie. You got to go see it. Silence of the Lambs came out and people knew about it immediately. And it didn't fly under the radar. It was front and center. And so there was, every so often you'll get a movie like Saving Private Ryan or anything else that just, Titanic, that just runs the gauntlet. And you know, this year did not have one of those movies that stood head and shoulders above all the other good movies. It feels like we're getting less and less of those movies these days anyway that really stand out above the rest in such a way that they are going to really sweep at the awards or and you know that it's coming is it that or is it that all movies are raising their game so that you know in a year that you had titanic all the other movies that year and i'm not going to go down the run of 90 97 or 98 or whatever year that was um and say that that was the only good movie in the rest were eh. but maybe everyone else has raised their game to the point that it's harder to be head and shoulders above the rest when they're all head and shoulders above where movies maybe were in a way but then again, that leads an interesting sidebar into our discussion today. Well, you would hope that that's the case. You would hope that, that that's the case. And then at the same time, it feels like it's handing out to, we're going we're gonna to get a little bit into the mix for everybody. You know, you, you get a couple Oscars, you get a couple Oscars, you get a and couple some Oscars. some years are like that. We'll spread them all out. I said that, that the Oscars, it feels like, for those who are watching at home, who are maybe going, what in the world are uh, what are these movies? Because some of these movies just never make it to your area. Yeah, is kind of the way that it goes. Well, and, and I, I feel like the Oscars are. I I tweeted this out yesterday that the Oscars are like taking an open ended exam question, and <laughs> you feel like you've given a great answer to it, but that's not what the teacher is looking for. Yeah, that's what it feels like the Oscars are. And, and you know, in living in Bemidji, sometimes we don't get all the movies. You know, I can think of a couple of big ones, including three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. It didn't come to Bemidji. Um, so if you wanted to see it, eh, you either had to be out of town to see it or you're going to be waiting until it comes out on video. And I haven't seen it yet because it didn't come here. Um, but then again, it's harder to go see movies in the theater when you got a kiddo anyway. So maybe coming on to VOD would be the way to go. We'll get there. Maybe. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. We and forgive we them pleased. for not letting the movie come. That we still love, we still love them. Hey, we love the Bemidji Theater. They give a ton of great options as far as movies to watch and best selection in the North Country. Yeah. I would say as far as movies to watch, you can't get everything in. I certainly know that. You certainly know nope. that. But we are very pleased to have them on board as a sponsor of podcast but with their fine selection of movies that they do bring you will watch them in absolute comfort not just from the seating and the viewing and the sound effects and uh the snack bar and a professional staff they're fantastic people they are indeed and you know the staff does that make does that make up for me saying that they didn't bring one of the best picture nominees well i mean you're just saying it like (laughs) it was but you're also saying that there are reasons, you know. There, there's only so many screens. It's you know, it's not up to Bemidji theaters. It's up to uh, what, what CEC. Is, CEC. There we go. It's that's up to right. CEC to decide whether that's going to happen or not. And that's Bemidji takes their marching exactly. orders. And okay, sir, may I have another? That's how it works. You got it. That's okay. So you, Dave, posted on on Facebook a couple of weeks ago 
a repost of a, a video that you had just watched recently regarding filmmaking methods that are impacting the movies and in this case ruining the movies according yeah. to this uh, according to this video and i wish we had uh, like a social media account for rick and nick which we don't uh and a, maybe just our own webpage so i could post it there but i can't so right. you're gonna have to just take it on a grain of salt from us you can look it up if you want but but it brought forth a couple of of interesting points regarding filmmaking these days we have discussed film and we've discussed what needs to happen in order to fix not only film, but also how do you bring people back to the movie theater? And we've gone over maybe some of the things that were discussed in this in this video, but this video took a very deep dive into the technical aspect of making movies these days and seeking improvement in the technical side a little bit more so. That got really harped on and really focused on in this video. So, first of all, Dave, how did you discover this video and what were your general thoughts of it going in and then also going out from it? There's a, a bunch of movie websites you can go to see. And one of them I've been a fan of since it signed on when the internet was kind of newish is based in Australia. It's called darkhorizons.com. There's a guy named Garth Franklin that runs it. And oftentimes, if I'll read a re movie review, I'm thinking, eh, I don't know about that. But then I would read something from Garth. And I usually don't read reviews of movies until after I've seen the movie because they're spoiler-filled. I don't want to know. And oftentimes I might come out of a movie not really sure how to articulate it, and then I'll read Garth's review. I'm like, that's exactly what I would have said. So that's kind of what led me to the site in the first place. And I've been an avid reader daily ever since. So darkhorizons.com, great website. Um, and that being said, uh, one morning they had a video that was posted that came from somewhere else. It was about a 16-minute video as to how technology is not benefiting the movies and in three different ways, um, which leads to a bigger issue in that why people aren't going to the movies. And you could there's a lot of reasons people aren't going, but the, what the video was talking about was the technical things. Um, a lot of tools at filmmakers' disposal that maybe they shouldn't use or they use far too often in places they shouldn't. One of them is visual effects shots that are uh, computer-generated that are basically for the wow factor and aren't anchored in reality at all. Um, like for, there's a, the, the new movie that's coming out here this summer. It's got the poster of The Rock diving from a crane into a window. Physics nerds at MIT have done parabola research and looked at this. Said, there's no way he's going to make this jump based on physics. So why would they put that in the movie? Because you know when you watch it happen, you kind of, even though your brain understands physics but doesn't understand physics, it understands what is possible and what's not possible. When you see something that's completely impossible, your brain knows that it's fake, and it turns you away from the movie. So that's part of it. The other one is, oh, excuse me, fighting off the last this cold. Another one is uh, color grading, which makes things look not realistic. Jurassic World was one where the, the battle at the end between the dinosaurs They'd use such a color correction that it almost looked like a video game cutscene rather than something that may have actually stumbled out of an aquarium exhibit at a, at a wildlife zoo. It didn't look real, so it pulls you out of the movie. And, and, and issues like that, tied with bad scripts and bad acting and other ideas, were things that tie into pulling you out of the theater experience. So what you are saying is it's all about the details. It's about the details, but it's also about style versus substance. And if you get a good movie that people are going to see and they're really going to like, this is the Shawshank Redemption, this is La La Land, this is the movie that maybe didn't grab your attention at first, but then people went and saw it and said, hey, this is a pretty good movie. Whether it wins Best Picture or not, 
it's still a darn good movie. You know, Baby Driver is a fantastic movie, regardless of the fact that, you know, things are timed out with the audio versus the editing and all. That's fantastic. and It's a cool gimmick. But underneath that style, there is substance there, and it's a good movie. And it just gives you a little flair, and that's what visual effects should do. Um, take, for example, Star Wars. We always use Star Wars as a benchmark because we're Star Wars nerds, so forgive us that. You had the original trilogy, you had the, the, the prequel trilogy, and now we're working on the sequel trilogy. When they did the originals, it was all practical in-camera effects mostly yes. that was on set. You know, They only would put in something that wasn't there. You'd be acting with something that wasn't actually there they'd put in later. To a minimum degree, you know, spaceship battles are another thing, but then you get the prequel trilogies. Terrence Stamp, a well-known actor, you know, General Zod and Superman 2, he played uh, uh, Chancellor, um, 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 the lead president. Chancellor Valorum. Valorum, thank you, at the beginning of the movie. He had said he was looking forward to working with some of the actors that were assigned up to the project. He never met any of them, even though he shared screen time with them, because he would go into a green room, somebody would hold up a tennis ball and said, this are the eye lines of your actor you're going to be working with. So he'd walk and talk with nobody. Wow. And then they would later put it together. So that's using it for non-effect. Why couldn't you just get those two people in the room at the same time, have them act a scene out? Because some people excel with green screen and others don't. Some people actually need something to act with and besides that the cult of the lighting that you might get on one actor versus another actor might not be the same so it looks different it looks weird and that's why you know one of the reasons that jar jar banks is so disliked not just because of stupidity but he looked fake he didn't look like he was out of phase with everybody else and everything else around him it didn't look real so now that we're doing the sequel trilogy they're doing as much in camera as possible and a whole lot less virtual reality so that it looks like it's actually things interacting with other things. And that's part of the problem. If you can do it when you need to do it, and it's a good tool utilized when needed, that's when you're going to score. When you do it just because you can for the wow factor, then you lose something. One of the great points that the video made when I got the chance to watch it was that this is a golden age of television, and you're going to have to follow this this trail here before I get it back to talking about the movie side of things. But they brought up in this video um, Matthew McConaughey speaking a couple of years ago, I think at the Critics' Choice Awards, think, yeah. about his performance in True Detective and why he made the switch from movies to television, specifically with doing the True Detective series. And I think he was already an Oscar winner at that point, wasn't he? I I believe he was. Yeah, I, th- I think he had won by that point. But anyway, um, he, he mentioned that there was a quality that drew him to doing that series with True Detective. And there is a quality about television these days that is most definitely at the forefront. This is considered by many to be a golden age of television. And this golden age of television has not been around for four or five years. It's been around for ten years that that we have been in this kind of period where there is so much on television right now that, that critics are saying is is tremendous. Really great stuff from, from Game of Thrones on HBO to Breaking Bad and now Better Call Saul on AMC to... Uh, to Veep or you can to, go back to or, The Sopranos, Stranger Things yeah. on Netflix, which has done so well. Yeah, you can go back to The Sopranos even if you want to go even a little bit earlier, where the golden age of television was just beginning to come around. You can even go past a decade. The Wire, another one that really has gone down in history as one of the great television shows. It's been an incredible time for TV in the past ten, fifteen, even twenty years. It, it's been a remarkable time. 
Why has that been the case? Because there has been, as Matthew McConaughey said, a quality to their writing, to their shooting, that has not been evident in in movies quite as prevalent. It, it's become about the technology. And I thought the video pointed that out in a really astute way. That technology, for all of its good, and for all of its possibility, and for all of its capability, has taken away a certain sense of realism in the movies of today. And the movies that stand out, the movies that do well, they know how to take technology and to put it into its best light, which was even described light in in yeah. some of the in, in some of the way that that it gets used. They talked about CGI. They talked about uh, CGI. They talked about color coding. They talked about even the use of camera. And and I never really thought about that either. But the use of camera is is important too. And I love the Avatar example that was given of how. If it's in the air, it's in the air. If it's on the ground, it's on the ground. And it's practical camera use, even in a sense of a lot of CGI. It's still using the camera in a good way, rather than some of these movies these days that just kind of use the camera in a, in a ridiculous helter-skelter way sometimes um, when there's all of this CGI stuff going on. Well, if you know, like to put a better emphasis on what you're saying, and I agree completely, um, and a lot of shots that are CGI, and we'll talk Avatar, for example. Avatar clearly was not filmed on set. It's motion capture from actors that are interacting with one another, even in real time. But they're still interacting But they're with still each interacting other. with each other, and that's right. But the world around them is completely computer-generated, not only to mention themselves. It's their, it's their captured performances that are infused into, literally, their avatars. And it's rendered almost in real time, so the director can watch a rough cut of what it's all going to look like on set live. But, as we've said, it's all CGI. But the camera is mounted in such a way that if it's all, if it was done practically, it's almost a person on the ground talking with a camera on his shoulder. It's only done digitally. There is no actual camera, per se. It's all digital. So some filmmakers would love to have that camera in constant motion. It's like shaky cam gone berserk where the camera is just everywhere and it's moving yeah. to try to give extra life. But when you do that, it takes life away from the performances. In a lot of scenes, like we talk Silence of the Lambs, that camera does not move. It is static. Because what it's trying to show you, not shaky cam, it's the performances coming right at you. Oh, yeah. And it's something about that. And um, when you have things moving around too much, you're trying to put too much zazz, you're doing too much style, you're taking away from the substance. There are times that that can work, but you have to use it like a tool. You don't use a hammer for everything. Sometimes other tools are required, and you need to be mindful of that. So with Avatar, if you're flying around, then yeah, that camera's going to move a little bit, get you a sense of motion. When you're on the ground, that camera's really going to do nothing more than pan and zoom up and down and that kind of thing. It's not all about the movement. And that's where a lot of these movies stand out from the crowd when it comes to how they use technology. And it helps movies stand out. It also helps you know that some movies just don't have it when it comes to the finer details. Take, for instance, I love the example that they gave of the, the Planet of the Apes movies, which I think that the modern Planet of the Apes trilogy is an extremely underrated trilogy. Yeah. I, I think it's extremely underrated. I've been surprised that those movies have not gotten a little bit more run at the Academy Awards as far as some of the visual 
sides of things that that they've done because that was an amazing trilogy for use of CGI. A remarkable trilogy for the use of CGI and the storytelling was amazing in those movies. They they did an, an incredible job of doing all that. But they used the technology that they needed in order to bring the apes and and the world of the apes to life. They used it in a really really terrific way with with the way that they shot it and the way that they they used color, the way that they used computer generated imagery to be in a very realistic way rather than just very cheap CGI which you can find in a lot of movies these yeah. days. They they paid attention to the details. And that's that really is the larger picture thing that we are talking about here. And we have discussed this multiple times over on this podcast. Where do you find quality in movies today? You find it in attention to detail. You find it in attention to are are we getting the right costumes? Are we getting the, are we getting the right props that that fit a time period and not only that but are we paying attention to what we are saying how we are saying it and the general uh, some of the general planning behind this movie um, the philosophy behind this movie are we putting attention to detail in the way that we construct this and put this together let me take a, another example from the academy awards last night and uh, of course it's a movie that i have seen that i thought was an incredible movie being dunkirk I thought it was one of the best movies of the year, and it it was lauded as such with the awards that it received and that it was up for. And part of the reason was just how much attention was focused on making it a big screen movie that you have to see in theater to get the full immersive effect of it with the use of sound, with the use of real props like, like the ships and the planes. I mean... Christopher Nolan went out of his way to to splurge for an a true old time plane for them to be able to use, and they used they instead of using CGI, they wanted to go to using models and using things like that, going back to the older style of doing all that. But it was that that handcrafted attention to detail. You think of it like a craftsman. It was a handcrafted attention to detail, and then with all of that came. A, a philosophy behind how they were going to put that movie together that was very, very intricate. And it ended up piecing together what was, I thought, Christopher Nolan's best movie among many other tremendous movies that he's made. And you see that attention to detail with the way that the props come together, using a huge cast of people um, to, to be able to shoot some of those, uh, some of those uh, images of the men on the beach, all of those things. It's all about the details, Dave. It's all about the details that help make these standout movies stand out. And you get the appreciation of the critics and of those who go to the movie who know this is appointment viewing. And that's what Nolan wanted Dunkirk to be, appointment viewing, that you have to see this on the biggest screen possible. You have to go and take in the theater experience. because, And he has said this multiple times over in the past five, six years. We need to make the movie-going experience which has become more expensive and has become difficult for people sometimes to pony up to go to see. We've got to make this as worthwhile as possible for them to go see. I agree completely with that. I think that um, you know, all entertainment is about trying to make a profit, whether it's television, whether it's movies, you name it. You're going to spend expenditures. You need to get people coming to see it so that the income overwhelms the, the outtake. I'm probably screwing up my words here, but you get where I'm going. Right. Um, and it's to the point now where they're more of a business than an art. 
And I understand that there's a debate to be had on this. Well, we need to make money. Absolutely you do. But for every Titanic movie that you make that pulls in zillions of dollars, you can afford to spend some of that money on stuff that's going to go to worthwhile things. If you're going to try to cut costs and cut costs and cut costs, well, then it's not about art anymore. It's about business. What your business is, is we work in magic, smoke and mirrors, and we're going to bring you on an incredible journey. That's not to say you want to spend a billion dollars on every movie. I, I grant you that. There's a balance there. But you need to worry about, remember, what you're there in the first place for is art. So if you're not going to do art for the sake of cash, maybe you should rethink about doing that project in the first place. But in a similar vein, you're not doing art for the sake of art either. There's got to be yeah, there's some a balance. kind of methodology. There's a balance. But for, take Disney, for example. Disney right now, they've got Star Wars. They've got Pirates of the Caribbean. Whether you like Pirates of the Caribbean right now, it's cash cow for them, or at least it has been. I think they're to that critical tipping point now. But Star Wars, the $8 billion or whatever they paid for all of the rights to all of Lucasfilm, they have made that and then some. Because it's not just the movies. It's the merchandising. There's the new Star Wars land they're going to open up here at Disney World that's coming up all the admission price to get into that, all of it put together, it's going to make that $8 billion back and then some, and they are already to that point, and they haven't even finished the sequel trilogy yet. So they're there. So now Disney's got money to burn. So other movies that are going to go through Disney that are not Star Wars, they can afford to maybe lose a little money to make the story come out well. Maybe this story isn't going to make a big return from the box office, but it gets offset by these others that will. That's what art houses used to be. They were non-money-making adventure, uh, adventures. Rather. I can't get my words right today for some reason. And uh, But for Disney, they can put out some of those arty movies and movies that aren't going to make the big return because you know these other ones that are going to come out are going to cover those and then some. And why don't they do that? Instead, we get a whole bunch of sequels that nobody asked for. Nobody asked for Cars 3. You know, Toy Story 4, they're working on it. The, th- the third one was spectacular. So people are really kind of, I don't know, is, do, should we, do we tinker with this? Is it good enough? They're opening up a new Toy Story land at Disney World, if you saw the commercial last night at Disney. Um, did people, you know, you, know, you know what we're getting at here. It's, um, you know, they can afford to take some risk, and so can other movie theater, you know, uh, studios as well. Avatar has got sequels coming out that people didn't necessarily ask for. But if they can do them as well as they did the first ones, then they're going to be golden. And 20th Century Fox, if they're still around and not owned by Disney at that time, um, can afford to take risks on other things. That's the difficulty with it all, is that as you make more money, it there becomes maybe a loosening of the shoestrings to say, all right, go for it, do your thing, and we know we're going to get the money coming in. As a result, it, it really all comes back to the money in so many ways. That's why a lot of the more art house or the, the more clever idea movies kind of fall by the wayside and where these other movies that just they, they kind of take the easy way out. Some of these movies do these big budget films these days. They just they take the easy way out. But look, look at Marvel and, and the MCU. Why have they done well? They've put attention to detail in putting the MCU together. And with with coming up with their stories, and they've crafted an, an extremely big empire as a result because they have put so much attention to detail with with hitting 
all of these different points along the way with all of these different movies. I mean, Black Panther's doing remarkable right now. With, remarkable is an understatement. I, th- I think it is. Yeah, it, it really is with how well that movie is done. But it's it, it also has, has been influential in so many ways that go beyond just the movie side and beyond the Marvel side of things. I mean, it, it appeals to an extremely broad audience well, and, and, and does so well because of it. And even more to that point, what we've been talking about today, some of where movies get wrecked because of over indulgence these movies have hit it you know a lot of them are very very special effects latin iron man movies in particular with all the flying black panther with all the digital stuff they do it well and they keep you grounded as an audience member so that you're watching this razzle dazzle on the screen in such a way that it doesn't take you out of it now you may know that it's a computer effect the best effects are the ones you don't know how they did, but sometimes you can't get away from that. You know, you're not going to have a helmet just disappear. You know it was done computer generated, but they do it in such a way that it doesn't take you out of it. The computer is grounded. They're not. You, you can. It looks like it's all part of the same shot, whether it's done in camera or not. They're hitting all the right beats, not just with the story, not just with the action, not just with the acting. They're doing it all correctly, and with all of them. And now the big question will be with the new Infinity Wars coming up with the Avengers, can they juggle all those balls all coming together, which we've kind of talked about, um, and hit those beats? Can they manage to do it for the grand finale? That's right. And that's going to be the challenge, which we're getting ever closer to seeing if that can actually be accomplished because and they moved, it, moved up. it up. They moved it up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's got to show confidence. Either they're ahead of schedule right, or they're like, this movie's pretty well done. You might as well move it up. I think about... Baby Driver, for instance, from back last summer. And I, I keep thinking about, you know, you've got your you've got your movies that you know are going to make a lot of money. And you've got those that, that stand out. But then I think about Baby Driver, and that was a movie that, that kind of flew under the radar coming into the summer. And yet when I first saw a trailer for it, I was super, super intrigued by it. I was like, this looks like a movie that maybe I wouldn't originally give much thought to, but... This looks clever, and this looks like it was well thought out. And then I go and I see it, and I realize this was clever. This was well thought out. They got a really good cast for it, and they used the best of of each of the people who they got in that cast, and they used the best elements that made it such a unique film, and that's what made it worth going to see, really worth going to see. And and then it ended up making a really nice sum at the box office and a, a movie that, that completely flew under the radar coming in, and then it ended up doing extremely well. Why? They paid attention to the details. They did the little things right, and it ended up coming across as a really unique, really clever, really fun movie. And it was a movie that I think appealed pretty widely, too, with, with what it was able to do. That's another thing, too. I, I think I think a lot of production companies need to consider a little bit more strongly their audience that they are trying to appeal to. Not just, we've got to include this, 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 and this in order to make a lot of different people happy. Or we've got to run with what what culture is up on or, or what social media or society is is kind of in the fast lane on these days, which I thought that The Last Jedi kind of tried to do. I thought they tried to fit too much in there to appeal to this audience and this audience. I think they need to consider general audiences in such a way, but not that you have to tick these boxes in order to do that because that can sometimes look a little bit, um, uh, I don't know, a little bit too, 
too much like it is a, a, a checklist. Like Placating a, to the fans? Yeah, like it's a grocery list of sorts. I, I think sometimes there is too much of that, especially, you know, we need our movie to be able to do this, this, and this. No, you have to consider your audience, but it's not like it's a laundry list, if you know what I'm saying. It, 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 or not a laundry list, a grocery list. You've got to consider it that way as far as can, appealing to an audience needs to be on a general base of let's come up with something that that is going to be very clever and very good and will appeal to a general audience without saying we need to be able to make sure that it's got one of these, one of these, one of these, one of these as far as plot, as far as characters, as far as what kind of characters we've got, what kind of story are we telling. It doesn't have to do that. You can still appeal to a general audience by creating a story that is going to appeal to a general audience. Now, this is where I'll remind the listeners that we, I don't think we said it at the front of this podcast, which we normally do, there will be spoilers within. But at this point, um, I think we're fair enough to say that there will be spoilers forthcoming. And I think we're far enough, you brought up Star Wars The Last Jedi, that is worth bringing up. And you brought up that it was it was checking off a couple of boxes to hit certain notes. And I would almost argue with The Last Jedi was the opposite. Because a lot of fans were turned away by it because it did not go where they thought it was going to go. I mean, think about some of the more... Well, you're looking at it as far as a plot standpoint, Dave. Not, not like, even that. Not even really? that. Think about what's the big you know, climax of most of the Star Wars movies. It's a lightsaber battle. Where was that in The Last Jedi? Did any lightsaber touch another lightsaber hilt anywhere in that movie? No. The only lightsaber battle... Now, again, spoilers forthcoming. You've been warned. Was Kylo Ren and Rey back to back fighting off the troop? They didn't duel one another, and at and no point did one lightsaber touch another lightsaber. They were two lightsabers doing the same thing against you know the royal guards or whatever you want to say. That's a big check mark in Star Wars. Just crossed off that list as it didn't exist. Um, everyone was expecting for you know, and that's it's more into plot point though. Well, there was Luke and Kylo. But they never touched because that lightsaber didn't actually exist. True, he, he dodged every blow. True. They never touched, so it wasn't for lack of trying on Kylo Ren's part. I grant you that, but they never—it was never a duel. It looked like it was going to be, but didn't happen. Um, so then you get into plot points. Everyone's waiting for Rey to be part of some lineage. She's not. Everyone's waiting for Snoke to be some great backstory character reveal. It wasn't. He was just cut in half, and that was it. Thanks for coming. Here's your parting gift. You know, Star Wars did not go where a lot of people were waiting for it to go, and for some fans, that turned them off because the two big things they were talking about were led up to be no factor, and so they were annoyed. And other fans, they liked it. And then there were you and I, after we went and saw the movie, we had our issues with it, but it wasn't because it didn't go where we thought it wasn't going to go. We thought that that was clever. We thought it was clever. We liked, it was, it was interesting. They, people were waiting for A, B, and C, and they went a whole other route and went with option F, you know, which was fine by us. But it was some of the subplots that didn't seem to really go anywhere and do much, and that was our biggest concern. And that was where I thought they were just kind of trying to tick boxes a little bit. Hey, we've got to sell an item. Let's throw these porgs in here just out of nowhere. <laughs> that That's what I'm you, talking about. And you about. might be right. That's the kind of example that I'm giving is that they feel they need to tick these boxes. Hey, we need to get another character in there. Let's get in this Rose character to to be sort of along alongside Finn. It felt like they were ticking these boxes of we, we've got to make sure that we you know, cover other things and just kind of throw them in there even if there's not really any point to them. I would have wanted to see them do much more with a character like Rose if she's just going to kind of come randomly in there rather than maybe give her a generic storyline. Give her a little bit more 
to, to be able to do rather than just the little bit that was in there. Well, even the whole subplot, and I don't want to get too much of the Star Wars sidebar, so I'll be real quick, but you know, both the, the Finn and Poe sidelines or side plots, really, ultimately the adventure they went on brought them back to where they started. They were pointless, both of them. They really accomplished yep. nothing. So they were just something to give those characters something to do, which really amounted to nothing. And that was kind of pointless. And that was one of our big concerns, you know. Um, so anyway, we'll leave Star Wars behind because it's, it's not about Star Wars. But, you know, it kind of points, it illustrates the point a little bit. It does, bit. yeah. But, you know, to, to get fans back in the theaters, you get good story writing. You get to, get to take places that you're not going to go to. It used to be that movies were like watching the main event. You'd watch the lead up in, this, in such a way on TV. Interesting stories, but, you know, they were cool, but it only could go so far. You want to see a better story that can go much further than you go to the big screen. And now that ratio is starting to shift. And maybe it's starting to shift back with things like Baby Driver, where they mixed style and substance very, very well. And there's others that have done it, too. La La Land clearly did it. Um, TV is really doing it, things on HBO in particular. Yeah. La La Land did it by hearkening back to a, a bygone yeah. type of movie. And that's what sort of created the nostalgia a little bit. I and, think, and not too far from Stranger Things. It's very 80s nostalgia. Yeah. Heavy, but it's not about that. That's just frosting on the cake. But this is up to the movie production companies. Yeah. And they they need to to stare this down and, and really consider more and more how do we take this on. And it's up to it's up to directors to be able to do that who have who have a vision and who have a creative vision to be able to do something like that. But that's a good point to take a look at. At what point does one does push meet shove? If you have a, a showrunner, if you're talking TV, or a director, producer of a movie, and they're going up against the studio, at what point does the studio's demands win out and the filmmaker's vision win out? Because oh, look, to, at the, look at The Walking Dead look at as the an shape, example. Look at the shape of water. What a bizarre movie. Here's a, here's a gal that is going to fall in love with a fish who's mute. What? How, how could you possibly pitch that movie? But they had faith in Guillermo del Toro that he was going to be able to pull that off because he's done things you know that were offbeat before and made it work. So they put the faith in him and it worked. But then you get things like The Walking Dead and like you were going to say, I'll let you lead to your point. Yeah, exactly. With The Walking Dead, they had this great idea. It came off in a terrific way in the first season because the studio gave support that way to, to what Frank Darabont wanted to do with it. But then but what's happened? They go they they part ways because they weren't willing to put the investment into it that that he was looking for and and hoping for. They started to ground things in terms of what they did. Story suffered, and then now they've been trying to dig out of that ever since. They've had the eyeballs, they've had the viewers, but the viewers have learned more and more over time that it's not worth watching when you don't put enough time into plot elements and into story. And there's an example of a show that has been big in this golden age of television, but has not maybe been appreciated critically as much as maybe they would like to think. And now listeners, uh, actually viewers more and more, are stepping away from it because they're realizing there's not it's too over. much substance to this. It's jumped the shark. Um, Basically, yeah. But that's, and that's a big debate. You know, where are you going to go to get people back in? Is, is, it, is it a marriage between the two? Is it, you know, a, a literal partnership or is it one calling the marching orders to the other? Well, movies face this problem with the sequel boom and with the, the reboot boom that we've seen is that they, they are facing this same issue. Some of them work. Some of them are clever with the way that they come up with. And I mean, we've discussed this over and over again about how do you make a, a remake 
work or how do you make a sequel work. You have to come up with a, a, a new idea that goes in a good direction and comes with, up with new ideas rather than rehashing old stuff or relying on CGI or relying on things that, that you just kind of use as a crutch. But which we've, you know, what was the, the case with a lot of these movies that were discussed as being wrong as far as CGI, color, and use of camera? A lot of them were sequels. A lot of them were points along a journey that were not done very well because they wanted to go for bombastic stuff. I thought that Peter Jackson line was was fascinating from Viggo Mortensen about how yeah. he got more and more unrestrained as the Lord of the Rings movies went along with using special effects and CGI. And you see that especially in The Hobbit. Yeah. He just took it to another overbloated level, and then we ended up with movies that just felt like they were a bit short. The, the they, were, they, they came up short of being of meeting expectations. The Hobbit in the trilogy end. was a pale stepchild of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It just eh, they even though the fault. first two movies were pretty good, it felt like they were missing something a little well, bit, and they just went overblown. Well, and while Lord of the Rings, I mean, all three of those books stacked high as thicker than you know phone books of the major metropolitan areas. If you remember what phone books were, The Hobbit is one book, and it's not the biggest of books either. But they threaded it over three different movies to make money. So they watered it down. They had to find filler for something to make that movie last over three movies. They could have maybe gotten away with two, but they went and went for three. You know, it was it was cash over substance and even Peter Jackson, I think he wanted to go back to it, but I think at that point the genie was out of the bottle. The magic was gone. But that's that's what these production companies need to realize, Dave, is that and how many times have we said it, going back to the Field of Dreams idea? Yeah. If you build it, they will come. If you put together a movie that is full of good substance, they will come. If you if you do it the right way, and if you think about the reason behind doing that, you know, even when it comes to gratuitous violence or coarse humor or things like that, things that sometimes just have... No real logic or place, and I think a lot of these R-rated comedies go this way sometimes. It's like, this feels unnecessary. It may get a a select number of people to come. That's not going to appeal to a lot of people, though. They're not going to come. If you put some thought and logic into it, they will come. And that goes for any movie across any genre of any length of any idea. If you think about it a little bit, if you put some substance into it, including with the visual side... And with the dialogue side and story, they will come and they will know that they're getting a good experience. And, you know, put a top on what you were just saying. Not every movie has to be a Christopher Nolan, you know, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Dark Knight trilogy. They don't have to be so well crafted pieces of art. They just have to have people that give a rip about them, and they put in the time, and they come up with something worthwhile watching. I mean, American Pie is not exactly what I would call cinematic achievement. It was a gross-out comedy, but it had heart, it had detail, it had thought put through, it had good characterization, and some good gross-out gross jokes, you know, and it brought the people in. Now, the sequels are a whole other thing, but the first one... You know, it was it was a well-done movie, and I wouldn't criticize that, and I wouldn't call it anything different than what Christopher Nolan would have done. It that's was how, that's very how different some movie, of those movies, but well-done movie. Right, and that's how those movies carve out their own niche yeah. of, of how they do it, because they find a way to do it well and to really, really hit the audience and appeal to them. Well, I, I mean, think about 
something like bridesmaids, you know? Yeah. That carved out a huge niche. And people, I ask people about comedies that they really like, and they go, oh, bridesmaids. You know, a lot of people like saying that. It carved out a niche, and it did so by doing it really well with finding that niche. And even if, if nothing else, if nothing else, is the movie entertaining? Oftentimes, I've seen movies, and unfortunately, you see them a lot of them on Netflix. You know, they don't have a lot of the big names. They're movies you never heard of, maybe featuring an actor that you've heard of, but they're just—they're not entertaining. Some of those movies that I've seen, and some of them in the big in the big screens as well. That's rule number one. All the rest of it is gravy on top. Can you entertain me for two hours or an hour and a half or whatever it is? If the answer is no, why are you making it? I mean, there's, if I would at that point say, look, we're going to cut our losses. We're going to, you know, we'll do something, but this was a bad example. And get away from those things. And some of those are art house features where maybe it's something experimental. Okay, you know, I'll give you credit for trying, but that's where some of the problem is. And there's only been too many of those that are maybe interesting, but not entertaining. And that's cardinal rule number one. Attention to detail. We're it hit, matters. We're digging up good things here, Hoove. We are. Yeah, and it, it's a great reminder of how important attention to detail is. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters, and we are very pleased to have them on board as a sponsor of the podcast. This felt pretty productive, Dave, discussing yeah. some of these things. And I, I hope that for people who go to the movies, these are things that, that are kept in mind and maybe are reasons why or why not they – they go to the movie. You know, for the common film goer, everybody has a different taste as far as what they what they approach. But as far as hitting general taste, how do you do it? You do it by paying attention to the little things. And I, I hope that movies get that idea and get that sense more and more, especially by looking at the success television has had, because I think that's quite a parallel to make. And let's say one more thing before we do go, and just kind of in parting, those of you that have been burned a few more times than you would prefer going to see a movie that you kind of wanted to see, you didn't know much about, and you walked out hating it, don't just go on the trailer, don't just go on what people say, look around a little bit, find a reviewer or a website that you more or less trust, and not necessarily spoil the movie for you, but what's the vibe coming out of the movie? You know, sometimes when you go on opening night, you don't get that option. Right. So take a little homework yourself. There's movies that I've kind of wanted to see. And then, for example, I want to see the new Strangers movie because I thought the first one was fantastic. It was scared the heck out of me. So the new one, Strangers Pray at Night, comes out next weekend. I do want to see it. But if the reviews start coming out like, yeah, they should, then I might not go. But some of the early buzz is, you know, and it's not bad. Probably won't beat the original, but not bad. And don't just let something like IMDb or Rotten yeah. Tomatoes turn you off from it either. I kind of let that happen to me with the movie that I was thinking about going to see a couple of years ago, and that was The Man from Uncle. Yeah. I wasn't too sure if I wanted to go see that in theaters. Well, then when I got the DVD later and, and I watched it, I was like, hey, this was kind of a cool movie. I would have liked going to see this in theaters, even though it didn't do super well critically. I still liked what it brought to the table. Yeah, and you don't Give have them to, a chance sometimes. And you don't have to like a movie that everybody's going to love. There are movies that I will see that say, I don't know if this movie's going to be good or not, but I'm going to see it no matter what. I want to see this movie. And That's so right. there's nothing wrong with that either. But you got to be prepared for they're not all winners. So be somewhat more educated. I hate to say it, you know, take do a little homework and then go and choose your movie. Choose your budget for your entertainment dollar as best you can. And if it doesn't really matter, then it doesn't really matter. And the hope is that the big screen production companies will value the big screen and the big screen viewing experience in the same manner that hopefully viewers 
value the big screen movie going experience and then in that way we can bring movies back to a good place in terms of going to see them maybe this is the result of a quiet protest you know as long as you keep paying movie tickets to go see bad movies they'll keep making bad movies if theater numbers are down maybe that's a message sent to the theater companies they're going to start doing a better job we hope we hope we hope I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Thanks for coming along and chatting with us today, and we will see you at the movies.